Sometime back, I came across top five lessons for parents. And while some of them are quite humorous, all of them are quite humbling. Number five, parents should remember that your children seldom misquote you. They usually repeat word for word what you should not have said. Number four, the main reason parents throw parties for their children is to remind themselves there are children more awful than their own. Number three, parents spend the first two years of their children's lives teaching them to walk and talk, and then they spend the next 16 years telling them to sit down and shut up. Number two, it rarely surprises parents of teenagers that there are some animals that actually eat their own young. And the number one lesson for parents is be nice to your children because one day they will choose your nursing home. Today we continue our sermon series entitled First and Ten, A Study of the Ten Commandments. We find ourselves in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. I ask for you to take a Bible, turn there. Once you find your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. Exodus chapter 20, let me read verse 12. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Heavenly Father, we pray that this sermon will be found not only on the lips of this preacher, but also on the ears of the hearer. Help me to preach, help us to listen well, help us to apply accurately this fifth commandment. We ask this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Now, when you and I come to the fifth commandment, explicitly, it seems to have much to say to children. For children are to honor their father and their mother. But implicitly, this commandment not only speaks to children, but it also speaks to parents. And ultimately, it's a commandment that speaks to the family. I want to approach this fifth commandment at three levels. Allow me to make three statements that I find from this fifth commandment. The first one, children are to obey their father and mother. Secondly, parents are to act honorably towards their children. And third, God honors the family who honors him. Allow me to take those three statements in reverse order. First, God honors the family that honors him. This fifth commandment is the hinge of the Ten Commandments. It is the statement upon which the two tablets swivel. It's at the heart of the Ten Commandments, and I want to contend this morning, it's at the heart of God. When God declares, honor your father and mother, he is saying much about the family that as the family goes, so goes the family of the Lord. That as the family goes, so goes the culture. That a family that honors God is honored by God. That God honors the family that literally, actually honors him. The family was one of the first institutions that God ever created. When you and I go back to Genesis chapters one and two, we discover that man created, uh, that God created everything, seen and unseen, visible and invisible. His ultimate creation was man. He plopped Adam right there in the Garden of Eden. He had given him the divine edict that he was to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it, to rule over the fish of the air, 
uh, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and everything that moves along the ground. And that was Adam's task. The Lord paraded all the animals in front of Adam. Whatever Adam named them, that was their name. Now, Adam's rather intuitive. He discovers that for every male, there's a female counterpart. There's Mr. Lobster and Mrs. Lobster. There's Mr. Horsefly and Mrs. Horsefly. There's Mr. Lion and Mrs. Lion. But for Adam, there was no suitable helper. When you and I come to Genesis chapter 2 for the first time in the created script, we discover something is not good. We get accustomed to God making something and it be declared good. God created and it was good. God created and it was good. When you get to Genesis chapter 2 for the first time, we read the words, it was not good. It's not that God made a mistake, but Moses, the author of the first five books of the Old Testament, we call the Pentateuch, Moses wanted to make it abundantly clear that this was something that jumps off the page. It was not good for man to be alone. Therefore, God made a suitable helper. In Hebrew, it's two words. In English, it's two words, suitable helper. That phrase says something to do about form and function. The word suitable speaks to form, that what God created was something of similar like kind. Yet the function was different for this that God created for Adam uh, was to be his helper, which is a word that means to support or to aid. In other words, God knew that Adam could not fulfill his God-given decree without the help of Eve. And so it was God who put Adam to sleep He performed the first surgery. He opened the man's side, took out one of the ribs, and from that rib, he made the woman. He woke Adam from his anesthesia. He presented Eve to her, and Adam said, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman. To say bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, is to say that she looks like me, she's kinda like me, but there are parts of her that are different than me, and I kinda like those parts. And so Adam and Eve, they knew each other. Adam and Eve were there, they were of the same form, they were similar of like kind, but they have different functions. Adam said, she shall be called woman, for the word woman means out of man. And henceforth, every man would then come out of a woman. So God created this family, this husband and this wife. He brought them together. They knew each other. Uh, They started a family, Cain and Abel, and you can read the rest of the story from Genesis. But suffice it to say that the family, the family originated in the heart of God. This is by God's design. It was God's design for a man and a woman to come together for life to share faith, to share life together, to build a family, to be fruitful, to multiply, to have dominion, to rule over all the created order. The family did not originate in the heart of a legislator or a lawyer or a left-winged judge or a liberal-minded activist. No, the family is described and defined and finds its origin in God Almighty. God is the one who orchestrated marriage. God is the one who created humanity, male and female. God is the one that gave every civilization the building block of the family. And upon that building block, every civilization rises or falls. That civilization will rise as it affirms uh, marriage by God's design. That civilization will falter and demise the moment that civilization stops defining by the Lord's terms. 
I must be honest with you this morning. I really do think that the Lord is repulsed by what America has done in its redefinition of marriage and family in these recent decades. 50% of marriages end in divorce. That stat is true outside the church and inside the church. According to the most recent census in 2020, it is reported that of all American households, only 22% are registered and identified as a nuclear family. The word nuclear just simply means core or nucleus. It's defined by our government as a man and a woman married, raising children. In our American landscape, in our American culture, there are now only 22% of households that are described as a nuclear family. You and I would understand it as a traditional family. Over the last 10, 15 years, partners who live together and raise children has skyrocketed more than 75%. The American culture has turned her back on the definition of marriage as described by God. The prevalence of divorce, remarriage, cohabitation, the redefinition of marriage to include same-sex couples, and now gender confusion where God created them male and female, yet a man might identify as a woman or a woman might identify as a man. And friend, I'm here to tell you that that confusion is from the pit of hell. Because God never made a mistake. I came this morning to tell you that our God is holy. He is not woke. God never has been woke, nor will he ever be woke because The definition of someone who's woke has to affirm that their thinking is evolving and perfection cannot evolve. God is perfect. His thoughts are perfect. His actions are perfect. Uh, His word is perfect. Everything about God is perfect. Perfection cannot evolve. Therefore, God is holy. He is not woke. Never has been, never will be. I realize that what I'm saying is not politically correct, but the calling upon my life has never been to be politically correct. I'm not looking for a fight, but I'm just telling you that the calling upon my life is to be biblically correct, to be biblically accurate. So if for some reason you might sense that I'm being insensitive, I'm not striving to be insensitive. I'm just striving to stand upon the word of God and tell you what the Lord says when it comes to male and female, for there are only two genders. When it comes to marriage, marriage by God's design is a biological male and a biological female together for life until death should take me away from you. And this is by God's design for a man and a woman to come together, to be fruitful and multiply, to have children by God's grace, and to raise them in in such a way that they know God and make much of God and they influence their culture for the good of God. This is by God's design. This is a family that honors the Lord. And so I'm not trying to be insensitive and if somehow uh, this offends you, please do not shoot the messenger. Just take it up with the Lord because God is very clear in his scripture of how he created man and woman and how he defined and described marriage. 
You know, you and I live under some mandates. I gotta be honest with you, before two years ago, I had no idea what a mandate really was. But now I think I know what a mandate is. A mandate is a declaration that affects and alters every aspect of life. That's a mandate. So can I encourage you to go back to Joshua's mandate? For Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let that mandate affect every aspect of your life. Let that mandate describe and determine everything that you do in your home and through your home so that you will be a home that honors the Lord because a family that honors God is, is honored by the Lord. God honors the family that truly honors him. The second statement I would make is that parents are to act honorably towards their children. Moms and dads, we have a tremendous responsibility, don't we? It is a tough job to be a parent. I think it's probably the toughest job in the world is to be a faithful husband and wife, to be a faithful mom and dad to your children that by God's grace, he has given to you on loan uh, and you're supposed to steward them well for the glory of God. It is hard to be a parent. And out of all the things we do as a parent, can I just remind you this morning that the number one responsibility you have is to pass on the faith to your children. That's job number one. You're gonna teach your children a lot of things, but everything else pales in its importance compared to teaching your children to know God and to make much of God. You are to disciple your children well. You are to introduce them to Jesus. You're to train them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I want the legacy that's left behind for me is to be a legacy of faithful children and grandchildren. You may not remember anything I ever say as a pastor preacher, and that's okay. Okay, but I pray that when I'm long gone, that the legacy that's left behind is a legacy of fruitfulness and faithfulness unto the Lord. That people look in the lineage of my life and they see men and women, godly guys and godly gals who make much of Jesus all the days of their life. That's the legacy that I wanna leave behind as a parent. That's the legacy I wanna leave behind as a preacher. Isn't that the legacy you wanna leave behind? You wanna leave behind a legacy of faithfulness. Your primary responsibility is to introduce your kids to Jesus and to train them on how to live a godly life. It was James Dobson who said the ultimate responsibility of a parent is to pass the baton of the faith to the next generation. He will go on to say and to write that Christianity is one generation removed from extinction. And I hear him and I understand it. I mean, he's not denying the fact that the remnant will always be around. God's promise to his people is that he'll always save a remnant. So his voice, his witness will always be here. But I do understand what James Dobson is saying, that if we do not take seriously our mandate to raise our children in a godly home and to act honorably towards our children, then who's gonna do it? It's not society. It is not the school. And it's not even the church's job, although the church ought to come right alongside you and reinforce the things of God that you're teaching in your home. But the ultimate responsibility falls upon mom and dad because we are to act honorably towards our children. I've heard it said of some parents when they 
make the comment, you know, I, I really don't want to sway my child when it comes to religion. I want them to be able to figure it out on their own. I want them to be able to examine the evidence and reach their own conclusions. I don't want to sway them. To which when I have those conversations, I want to say to that person, uh, do you sway them from playing in the street? Or do you take that same mentality of, you know what, I don't want to sway them. I, I want them to kind of be their own thinker. I want them to do their own thing. I want them to figure out on their own that that truck just might kill them. I want them to determine that. I don't want to sway them from playing in the street. I don't know a parent who would have that type of mentality. Every parent I know would say, no, I'm going to teach them what is acceptable and what's unacceptable. I'm going to teach them what is dangerous and what is faithful. I'm going to teach them that. Well, if you would do that by playing in the street, then certainly when it comes to the salvation of their soul, won't you tell them the truth? There was an English poet who was being um, engaged in conversation with another adult who was talking about the idea of uh, religion and parenting. And he said, you know, I, I really, I don't want to infringe on my child's creativity. And if I cram religion down their throat, I just might infringe on their ability to be creative and to process and be productive. Well, in the course of the conversation, the English uh, poet simply said to the man, would you like to see my garden? And the man thought, well, that's an about face. We're not talking about gardens. We're talking about parenting and religion, but sure, I'll take a look at your garden. So they went to the part of the garden in the yard where all there were were weeds. And the man looked at the poet and said, that's no garden, that's a bunch of weeds. He said, oh, you don't understand. You know, I didn't want to infringe upon my garden. I didn't want to limit where my garden could grow and go. And so I just kind of left it up to my garden to do whatever my garden wanted to do. And the man looked at him and said, no, that's no garden. That's a bunch of weeds. And he said, the same thing will happen if you do that to your children. By not infringing upon them, just letting them be a free thinker, not cramming religion down their throat, the end result is that the weeds of the culture will choke out their life. You and I have to be parents that are honorable. We have to be honorable towards our children. First and foremost, that must mean that we introduce them to Jesus and we train them in the matters of faith. I've had parents in church, obviously. I've had parents in church that will tell me, you know, I, I don't make my child or I don't make my student come to church. I mean, if, if my child doesn't want to come to church, we don't come to church. If, if my student doesn't want to come to church, uh, my student's getting older, and so my, if my student doesn't want to come, then, then my student doesn't come, and many times we don't come to church. And I ask the question, why? And the response is, well, I want to pick my battles. And that's not a battle that I want to pick. To which I want to say, can you tell me a battle that you will pick? If you're not going to pick this one, which one are you going to pick? If you're not going to say, you know what, going to church is a non-negotiable. 
Going to church is, is something that we do as a family. We do this as a family unless we are providentially hindered. That we are here at church. We know that going to church doesn't save anybody. But if you're saved, why wouldn't you want to go to church? And if you know the truth, why wouldn't you want to be part of the place that communicates the truth in a way that your children and your students can understand? You and I do our children a grave disservice if we say to them, you know what? You're really in charge of the family, so you tell mom and dad where you want to go and when you want to go to church. And Johnny, if you don't want to go to church, we won't go to church. And Sally, if you don't feel like going to church, then we won't go to church. So you dictate to us what we're going to do. Friend, if you're not going to pick this battle, which battle are you going to pick? And I got a sneaking suspicion that you don't pick many battles anyway so that your children pretty much call the shots and rule the roost. See, um, it is true that God honors the family that honors him. It's also true that parents are to act honorably towards their children. We are to um, act honorably towards our children, which means that uh, we have a tremendous responsibility. We have a huge task. And I think that God holds us accountable and responsible, mom and dad. I get that at a place like 1 Samuel chapter three. The Lord uh, had appointed and placed young Samuel in the work and service of the temple. The priest was a man by the name of Eli. And Eli had some real doozies of sons. Uh, they, they were disrespectful, uh, they were immoral, unethical. And Eli pretty much let them do whatever they wanted to do. It's the Lord who called young Samuel. And eventually, um, under the direction of Eli, uh, Samuel said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And the Lord gave Samuel a direct word from God to give to the priest. The next morning, Eli woke up. He could tell uh, young Samuel was one who had something to say but didn't want to say it because uh, it, was, it was bad news. And so Eli said, no, you must tell me. What did the Lord say to you? It's a message for me, isn't it? It's a message for me and my family, right? What did the Lord say? Even if it's bad news, I want you to tell me because I want news from the Lord because the scripture says that, that Eli had not seen God in a long time. Yes, he didn't see him because optically, he was physically blinded and becoming more blind, but spiritually, he was blinded as well. And the Lord spoke and said to Eli, your sons are contemptible to me. You knew about their sin and you did not restrain them. I hold you responsible. That's a huge weight, isn't it, Dad? That's a huge weight, isn't it, Mom? Then from 1 Samuel chapter 3, it would appear that the Lord says to the man of the cloth, the priest, he says, I hold you accountable, I hold you responsible for the sins of your sons because you knew about that activity, you knew, you knew about their unethical dealings and their immoral actions, and you did not restrain them, and you did not even try to restrain them. I hold you responsible. Huge responsibility. You fast forward to the New Testament in a place like Ephesians, it is Paul who says to fathers, do not exasperate your children. The word exasperate means do not provoke them to anger. Do not agitate them. 
No, your job is not to make fun of your children. Your job is to point your children to the faith of the Lord. In fact, moms and dads, uh, if we could interview your children and ask the question, who are the two godliest people that you know? If the answer is not mom and dad, we failed. Our children ought to answer the question that the godliest people we know are our parents. Now listen, mom and dad, you can't teach what you don't know. You don't come to me for piano lessons. I don't know how to play the piano. You would be foolish to come to me and say, will you please teach me how to play the piano? I'm not even sure how many white keys and black keys are on the keyboard. I mean, I don't know anything. I know there's a middle C and it's probably somewhere in the middle of the keyboard, but I don't know anything else. You don't come to me to learn piano. Why? I can't teach you what I do not know. If your children come to you for matters of faith, you can't teach them what you don't know. The studies are all the same. They all have the same conclusion. That a child's perception of God is directly related and proportional to their understanding of their earthly dad. If an earthly dad is mean-spirited, never pleased, absent, then that child will automatically assume that God the Father will be mean-spirited, never satisfied, and absent. But on the flip side, it's also true that if that child knows that earthly daddy is loving, and forgiving and encouraging, they will automatically assume that God the Father will be loving and encouraging and forgiving. Dads, we have a huge responsibility. Moms, we have a huge responsibility. We have a responsibility to act honorably towards our children. We ought to be the holiest people that they know. We ought to be the godliest people that they know. But we cannot teach them what we do not know. So we've got to make much of Jesus in our lives. We've got to be holy so we can teach holiness unto our children. We've got to be godly so we can model godliness before our children. So we have a huge responsibility because we are shaping the understanding of our children, of their perception of God long before they ever even know God. Long before they ever introduced to the Lord, they have a hunch of what God is like based upon how you interact with them. So we have a huge responsibility. This fifth commandment, it does say something to children, but it also says something to parents and to the family. We ought to be a family that honors God. We ought to be parents that act honorably towards our children. Oh, but the third statement is equally true. That children are to honor their parents. That children are to obey mom and dad. Now, so far, I've not given you any working definition of honor, have I? I'll do right now. The word honor literally means to be heavy. And that word has nothing to do with obesity. It has nothing to do with how much you weigh. But the word honor means to be weighted down with glory, respect, admiration, and praise. Honor your father and mother means that the children's job and task is to heap 
glory and respect and appreciation and praise upon their parents at such a large degree that the weight of all that hunches mom and dad over. That the picture is it's mom and dad and they're weighted down with so much honor, so much praise, so much adoration, so much respect that their children place upon them that they are heavy. They are honored. Honor your father and your mother. It's, it's, a, it's a word that means that we heap respect upon them. If you think to yourself, that idea, that imagery, that's, that's far-fetched. That is far different than our English vernacular. Is it really? Because have you ever heard or have you ever spoken these words or something like this? You know, you're not giving me one ounce of respect. Did you ever hear that growing up? I did. Did you ever say that to your children? <laughs> I have. You're not giving me one ounce of respect. It's the same type of verbiage. It's the same type of understanding that your job, your task is to heap glory upon me at such a heavy, enormous rate and weight. But, but right now, you're not even giving me one ounce, not one thimbleful, not one teaspoon uh, worth of respect. You're not giving me one ounce when in the reality is you ought to be heaping glory upon me. Now, the reality is that children are to obey mom and dad. This is a command. It's at the heart of the Ten Commandments because it's at the very heart of God. God has much to say to the family. He has much to say to, to how we love him and how we love the culture. And it's got to originate right there in the family. So children are to honor mom and dad when you're young. That simply means that you obey mom and dad. You do what they tell you to do. That when you're under their care, under their tutelage, under their rearing and raising, the way you honor them, the way you heap glory upon them, the way you heap respect upon them is that you obey them. You do what they ask you to do. Not with a bad attitude, not with a snarky word, not with a backbiting comment. Not with a bad attitude, you just simply obey. And by your action and attitude of sheer obedience, you are heaping glory upon mom and dad. I had more than one parent come to me because several of you are able to realize that, hey, we're going through the Ten Commandments. And so you know that this day is going to be the Fifth Commandment. You also know this day is when our students are gone. And more than one parent came to me to say, hey, can you switch number six and number five? I mean, when our kids are gone, talk to us about murder, uh, but then, um, or stealing, you know, and then, then when they come back, uh, then you can talk to them about honoring mom and dad. And my response was, God wrote them in this order, I've got to take them in this order. But because of the gift of technology, you can take this recorded sermon and you can play it over them again and again and again and again. In fact, you can even take it and play it over them while they sleep and let subliminal messages kind of go into their, into their spirit. Obey mom and dad. Obey mom and dad. Okay? So you can just play this over and over as long as you want to. Because children are supposed to obey mom and dad. When you're younger, uh, this really is enforced obedience. How many of you ever said, you do this because I said so? I mean, any mom or dad out there ever say that? Why? Why do I have to do that? 
Well, for starters, just because I said so, just obey. Because your obedience, yes, it's enforced obedience. It's still obedience nonetheless. And by your obedient actions, children, then you heap glory and honor upon your parents. Now, when you get out of the house, which by the way, children, that is the ultimate goal, to send you out of the house. When you get out of the house, you still have a responsibility to heap glory and honor upon mom and dad. You do that by the decisions that you make. You're going off to college, you're starting a family, you're getting married, you're having children, you're starting a career, you're in the middle of your career, you're raising those grandkids. I mean, the way you live your life, the decisions that you make, you are by default heaping honor upon mom and dad. I have not lived under my parents' roof for the better part of two and a half, three decades. But my actions today will heap honor upon my dad and upon my mom. The decisions I make, the sermons that I preach, the leadership that I give, the spiritual guidance of my home that is on my shoulders, all of that, the way I conduct myself, the way I handle myself, the way I interact with people, all of that, by my actions, whether it's good or bad, it will do something about heaping honor or dishonor upon my parents. And I, for one, want to live my life in such a way that my dad is honored. I want my mother to be honored. I want mom and dad to be weighted down with so much respect and so much adoration and so much praise simply because of the way that I live my life today. It has been a long time since I've lived under their roof. But today, I want to honor them. Now, this is, this is willful obedience. It's not enforced. My parents are not doing anything today to force me to obey them. It's a willful obedience. And there are a lot of people in my stage of life that I'm looking at, they're listening to me. There are a lot of people in this stage of life and the way you honor your parents is by the way you live your life, the decisions that you make, how you raise your children, their grandchildren, and by what you do. Then I think there's a, a third season or stage of life. It's when your parents get to the place where they cannot care for themselves and you honor them by caring for them well. I don't know all that that means and you don't know all that that means either unless you've been there, unless you've seen mom and dad cancer-ridden, a body eaten up and, and you are caring for them and you're doing things in an honorable, helpful way, things that you never thought you'd be called upon to do, but you do it because, because that's dad and that's mom and you wanna honor them well with dignity and with grace. And I look out and I see a lot of people and you know exactly what I'm talking about. For you know what it is to honor your parents well in the twilight years of their lives. So we, we honor our parents. We, we honor them by um, how we talk to them. We honor them by how we talk about them. We honor them by the attitude and by the action. God really cares about this. I mean, he is serious about this. 
so serious in a place uh, like Leviticus. The Lord says, the man who curses his father or mother should be put to death. The man who curses his father and mother should be put to death. The author of the Proverbs said to his son, listen to the instruction of your father who gave you life. And do not despise your mother in her old age. God is serious about this. God consistently says in the sacred script that we are to listen, we are to honor, we are to respect our parents. Listen to your dad because he gave you life. And do not despise your mother with your words, how you talk to her, how you talk about her, by your actions, by your, do not despise your mother. Even when she's in her old age, you take care of her because she birthed you. There's something in this that is care and dignity that children are to obey their parents even after they leave the house, even at the stage of life where mom and dad are decrepit and on their deathbed. We still honor them. I have had a couple of students who asked me the question, but what if mom and dad aren't honorable? Am I still supposed to honor them? And my response is, you better be dead level sure that mom and dad are dishonoring God according to God's definition. Because if you're the one who gets to define what's honorable or dishonorable, you'll make up junk. You'll make up stuff. I was a teenager once, I know. You make up stuff. Well, I can't believe mom did that. She's so dishonoring me. No, she's not. She's discipling you. She's trying to teach you what's right from wrong. Your dad is not trying to dishonor you. He's trying to make you honorable, not honorary. He wants you to stop being honorary and start being honorable. Your dad is doing the right thing. Don't sit there and tell me, well, he's dishonoring me. No, he's not. But you better make sure that the definition and understanding of honoring is by God's definition. Now, if your parents are asking you to do something that is a sin according to God, if your parents are asking you to do something that is contrary to the very explicit word of God, then you do not have to honor them and obey them. But you better be sure that what they're asking is something that flies in the face of God Almighty. See, God is so serious about this. In a place like Romans chapter 1, verse 29, Paul gives a litany of vile activity and actions. The greedy, the swindlers, all these kind of things. And then in the middle of it, he says, children who are disobedient to their parents. I remember when I came across it, I thought, are you kidding me? I mean, all these vile, despicable things that you tell us not to do, and I get it, we're not supposed to do that. But then you insert children being disobedient to their parents? Is that really a big one? And God says, yes, it is. Because children are to obey mom and dad. So you come at this fifth commandment, there's at least three levels that God honors the family that honors him. That parents are to act honorably towards their children. And children are to honor, obey mom and dad. This is the first commandment with the promise. Honor your father and mother so that it may go well with you, so you will live long in the land I am giving you. I want to be very careful on how we apply this, 
But the truth of the matter is this. God blesses obedience. And that's what he's saying. You obey me. You honor your parents. You do this and I will bless you. Because God understands that if if honoring does not originate in the home, if children are not learned how to honor those in authority over them in the house, they will not honor those in authority in the culture. If children do not honor mom and dad, they will not honor their teacher, and they will not honor police officers, and they will not honor leaders in the church and in the community, and they ultimately will not honor God. So God knows that this issue of honoring, this issue of paying respect, it's got to originate in the home. And mom and dad have to make sure it originates in the home because if Junior and Sally do not honor mom and dad, then they probably won't honor God. Friends, we gotta take this seriously. If we do think to ourselves, well, I don't wanna sway my children, don't wanna cram anything down their throats. I don't wanna enforce authority upon them. I don't, I don't want to enforce religion upon them. Oh, friends, if you take that approach, then congratulations, because you're well on your way of making a well-rounded agnostic who's probably destined for hell. Several years ago, I was at a rather famous grocery store, and I want to describe to you the sight that I saw. I think you'll catch the analogy, but this is what I saw. I saw a young prince. He had already been dubbed king of the castle. He was probably four, maybe five years of age. He was riding in one of those metallic carts. He was riding in one of those metallic carriages. The court jester was pushing the cart. And the jester was there just to make sure that the young prince who was dubbed king of the castle was satisfied. And on this given day, when I saw the prince, he was not satisfied. He was crying. He was yelling. He was spitting. He was punching. He was punching the jester that was pushing his cart. And the jester just wanted to make the young prince accommodated and calmed down. So she offered him cookies. Do you want this cookie? And he took the cookie and he threw it back at her. I don't want that cookie. I want that cookie. And she went over there and she got another cookie and she gave it to him. All in the hopes that he would simmer down. After all, he is the young prince who's the king of the castle. And she pushed the cart until he quietened down. I left that site and I thought to myself, I am no psychologist, but it doesn't take much for me to conclude that in about 12 to 15 years, he's gonna be riding in a different metallic cart and there's gonna be a different jester who's there, who he thinks only exists to meet his selfish needs and he's gonna demand a different kind of cookie from her and if she doesn't give the cookie that he wants, he'll throw a fit until he gets the cookie that he's after. Friends, God takes this seriously. And we should too. You get to the fifth commandment and God says, honor your father and mother. 
You think it only says something to children. It does say something to children, but it also says something to parents. And ultimately, it says something to the family. For the family that honors God is honored by God. And parents must act honorably towards their children. And children are to obey their parents. I find that like in every other commandment, the ultimate fulfillment of the fifth commandment is found in no one else but Jesus. Do you remember Jesus at the temple? He's only about 12 years of age. He was left behind. Mary and Joseph probably had an interesting conversation when they discovered that little Jesus was not with them. And Mary said, Joseph, I thought you had him. Joseph said, no, Mary, I thought you had him. He's your responsibility. No, he was your responsibility. I remember vividly, I said, you're gonna take him. No, I'm gonna take him. Now, can you imagine the light, the wonderful little conversation that Mary and Joseph had as they went back to the temple? They finally made a mad search. They found Jesus, he was in the temple. And Jesus said, did you not know that it had to be about my father's business? And then Luke tells us that Jesus went to Nazareth with them and he obeyed them. He's the perfect fulfillment of the fifth commandment. You come to the baptism of Jesus. It is God the Father who speaks. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. He's the fulfillment of the fifth commandment. You come to the end of his ministry and Jesus is in the garden and he comes to the garden with a heavy heart. He knows that the cross is in front of him. He knows he came to seek and to save the lost. And yet he says, Lord, Father, let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. He prays that prayer not once or twice, but three times. He is furrowing faithfulness into his spirit. Not what I want, but what you want. Father, I am here to glorify you. I am here to make you heavy. I am here to hunt you over with admiration and praise. I exist. I came on this rescue mission and I came to please you. So Father, not my will, but your will be done. You remember Jesus at the cross? There he's fulfilling the fifth commandment. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And ultimately he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Dad, I came to do what you asked me to do. And I've done it completely. I've done it well. I've heaped glory and honor upon you. So dad, take my spirit. Dad, here I am. Dad, I have done this all for you. He bowed his head, gave up his ghost. They took his dead body, placed him into a grave. And how did God the Father respond to the fulfillment of the fifth commandment in God the Son? Well, Jesus stayed there all day Friday and all day Saturday, even early into Sunday, but early on Sunday morning, God the Father raised God the Son by the power of the God the Spirit to say, to declare by his actions, Jesus is the fulfillment of that fifth commandment. He is the perfect personification of honoring his Father. He is the perfect personification. So because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. I don't know about you, but I want to be like Jesus. I want to honor my Father in heaven. I want to do what he sent me to do. I want to do what he called me to do. And I want to get to the end of my life and say, Father, Daddy, here I am. I'm all spent. I'm yours. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. And I want the Father to say to me what you want the Father to say to you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. You've done everything I ask you to do because you're just trying to mimic Jesus. As Jesus lived in perfect holiness, so you want to live in perfect holiness. As Jesus lived in obedience, so you want to live in obedience. 
Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of this fifth commandment. Because this fifth commandment has something to say to children and something to say to parents and ultimately something to say to families. And I wonder this day, are there any children who need to honor mom and dad? Are there any parents who need to confess sin and act honorably towards their children? Are there any families who need to say, Lord, we have not been the family that you need us to be. You've called us to be. So we want to honor you because God honors the family that honors him. I'm quite sure there are many thoughts, questions, scenarios, ideas that are flying through the screen of your mind. I encourage you in this moment right now, submit all of them to Christ. Let the Spirit of God be your convictor. Let the Spirit of God be your encourager. Let the Spirit of God be your helper. Let the Spirit of God guide you. And as we enter into a time of invitation, know that the altar is open for you to come and receive Christ as Savior and Lord, to confess your sins, kneel here and pray, uh, to submit your family, your grandchildren, your children unto the Lord. Uh, maybe you need to come and join this church, whatever it is, just simply be obedient to the Father who loves you. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. We give this invitation. We ask for you to be pleased in the way we live and what we do. Lord, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.